Welcome to Le Flaneur Politique with Dr. Michael DePercy. Don't forget to check out the show notes at politicalscience.com.au. Today I spoke with internationally acclaimed Australian artist Margarita Georgiadis. I asked Margarita about creativity and philosophy and whether philosophy influenced her art, how she dealt with things like procrastination and living the creative life and whether it's actually worth it and what it's like to live in accordance with one's nature. Welcome, Margarita. Thanks for joining me today. Pleasure. I'd like to ask you a few questions about your, your work and being an artist and philosophy and, and all these wonderful things. And I'd like to start with a question about philosophy and art. So I read somewhere that when you decided to work as an artist, you actually turned to philosophy first. Why? Yeah, um, it actually wasn't when I decided to become an artist. It was more um, a period uh, in my life that I was going through at the time. My father had decided to stop treatment and in stopping treatment he basically decided to die. In that nine-month period I struggled to come to terms with the fact that he was going to die, that I was going to lose this precious beautiful man and I needed to understand what death meant and where was he going to go after he died and, and is there such a thing as an afterlife? So I really turned to philosophy then um, and I read a lot of books. I read um, Deleuze, um, I read um, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, um, uh, Paolo Zellini um, and a lot of T.S. Eliot in trying to come to terms with what, it, what death actually meant. And in doing so, it actually inspired new work and a new way of working. So it was an actual life event that led you to philosophy. It wasn't a deliberate sort of thing until after the event. Is that the case? Um, it's, uh, yes, absolutely. I studied philosophy at art school and it was very much um, a part of our art practice. Uh, so I wasn't unfamiliar with turning to philosophy to answer questions that I felt I couldn't answer myself. But I've always explored subjects and ideas through my art in a way in which I can explore and research those ideas further. And I guess in a way for me, um, philosophy or art is almost like a a physical representation of philosophy. And so right, right. it does certainly underpin a lot of the research that I do. So the, the issue that I have with, uh, with many of my students, for example, is, and even other academics, if I start talking about philosophy and even uh, pedagogy, like teaching philosophy, I talk about this with others and their, their eyes glaze over and they think, you know, why do I need to know this stuff or why are you talking about this stuff? But, but here you are saying that you're actually using it as, as part of your work. So... I'm just wondering, do you think we either have it or we don't in terms of comprehending philosophy and being able to use it, or is it, is it a learned thing? Uh, I think philosophy frightens people. The, 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 the term philosophy sounds like, it sounds like waffle. It's, 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 not, it's not science. It's not something concrete, and so that frightens people away. But I think that when, certainly for me, when I was in a position where I had no answers and I was grappling for some, some uh, realisation of uh, an impending truth... 
I needed philosophy to help me with that. So I don't think that it's something that comes easily for everyone. Um, but I think that if this uh, this mental block on philosophy being uh, something so far removed from reality was diminished, then I think more people would, would use it and find it useful. In many ways, it seems to be the modern condition. The less philosophy we have, the more we just go along and do as we're told. Us. So I'd like to ask about uh, creativity. One of the things that interests me is there have been numerous authors coming out recently about uh, deep work and other concepts around creativity. And a lot of the research is suggesting that you have to be disciplined in order to be creative. So there's a sort of a myth about the creative person who just does whatever they want. But, uh, but it seems to be more that discipline drives creativity. So I'm wondering to what extent does discipline drive your creativity? Um, I've, I'm certainly very disciplined, but in, in a loose way. Uh, so, yes, look, there. I've, I was told by many art teachers that you need to be in the studio every day if you want to be a successful artist, and it doesn't matter what you're doing in the studio so long as you're in the studio every day and that becomes part of your routine. Um, and I actually believe in that and I, and I practice that and there's, there are many days when I am just in the studio sitting there looking at paintings for eight hours and I haven't produced a single piece of work, I haven't picked up a paintbrush, but that time sitting there looking at the work inspires me and drives me on so I don't I think it is a myth that you have to create every day to be a successful creator um, but you need to take time every day to think about your work it all comes down to time in the chair that's it so, so it seems like sometimes you're waiting for creativity can you actually drive it or does it you know is it like the muse sort of appears or can you actually seek out the muse so to speak i'm not waiting for it i actually implement something in in my everyday life so my basic routine is probably the best way to answer that question um, i don't produce any work the first half of the day so up until midday i'm not i will not pick up a paintbrush because i'm useless in the morning um, my morning times are spent doing other things that I consider to be creative and it might simply be going out to the garden, picking some flowers and arranging them in the house somewhere or rearranging cushions or rearranging furniture or placing an object in a different place or hanging an artwork or even preparing a meal. Uh, so I do all of these things before I start working and it kind of gets me into this creative mode of thinking. But Behind that, behind the physical act of those creative, everyday creative pursuits, I am still thinking about, about my work. And I, and I really do feel that I think about my work 24-7 non-stop. It's just that whether I have it in the forefront of my mind or it's just slightly behind. That's really interesting because I, I remember, again, with my own work, and, and I, I, you know, it's not so much that I try and draw parallels between art and political science because there, there are obviously some gaps but at the same time, there is that sort of process of thinking. And, and I remember someone said to me that the trouble with students today is that they don't get time to think and, and they're sort of forced. Everything's a big rush and you don't, you, know, you don't get that time to think. Are you sort of saying that you deliberately create that space to be able to think? Is that... Absolutely. It's almost like a cooling off period. So after an intense session in the studio, and I usually work five to eight hours of nonstop solid painting, 
I will walk out of the studio, walk away from it, walk away from it. I just don't want to know about it. And there's this space of I want to look at anything that has nothing to do with painting. And so I'll go outside and I'll play with my cats and I'll cook a meal and I'll do really basic things like pay bills and life, daily life-to-life things. And then I go back into the studio and there's this period of time where I sit and I think. And I'll even announce that to my husband uh, at certain times throughout the day. Uh, I'll say, now I I need to go and think. And it's almost as if I'm saying, now I need to take out the garbage. It's it's just as important to me as taking out the garbage. (laughs) Sounds like a lot of home time then, a lot of sort of studio and alone time. Is, is Is it alone or is it solitude? It's solitude. I I don't feel lonely and it's not aloneness. Um, I need what I call endlessnessism. There's this, uh, I, I don't like there to be any distinction between my life and my art. So it's just this one endless continuum of being. So painting and living are one and the same. I sort of experience or desire something similar and the thing that always gets me is if I look at my calendar and I have an appointment that day I hate it yes and if there's one the next day I hate it yes because if I can look at it and go there's nothing for three days <laughs> it's the greatest thing is that is that something similar exactly the same like perfect example we were meeting at two o'clock this afternoon to do this podcast nothing happened I I couldn't get anything done I actually can't start really, until some appointment that I have is over. I'm not going to start a painting before you turn up. Even if we have guests arriving at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, I cannot paint that day. And that sort of uh, leads us in nicely to my next question, which is about uh, procrastination. Firstly, do you procrastinate? And if so, how? Okay, well, I've I've reinvented the um, definition of procrastination. Really happy to hear this. I like to think of it as delayed gratification. So there's this period... You don't get guilty. No, I don't feel guilt. Yeah, right. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So there's this period of time. Here's an example. I have an idea for a painting, and that idea is absolutely like a seed, and that seed can sit within my mind for years, and it's only when I decide that the time is right to plant that seed and start that painting, that it will grow. So a procrastination period, a period of delayed gratification can last hours, days, months or years when it comes to ideas for my work. Yeah, right. And there's, and there's this wonderful thing that happens when, you, when you've, you've put the idea down on canvas, let it sit there. One reason is because I paint in oils and that first sketch needs to dry before I can go back in there. But the other reason is it's there's this incubation period and that incubation period is part of what we you might call procrastination, but there's that delay and the delay means that I have to wait for that paint to dry before I can go back in there and it builds up this sense of excitement and urgency. So when I finally get to the painting to implement what it is, to carry on the idea, to take it to completion, I'm so excited. And so that procrastination, I actually use it. I actually use it as a tool. So does the medium actually help with that patience process? Absolutely. So for, for me to keep this continuum going with the work, I need to start at least 30 paintings at once. 
And that way, each painting will need something else at a different stage. And each painting has a waiting period. And each painting excites me because I have to wait before I can delve back into it. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So how do you manage your concentration then? Because, I, I mean, I find myself trying to do a million things at once and uh, usually end up doing many of them very poorly because they didn't get that focus sort of energy. But, again, that sounds like the medium sort of limits your ability to stay focused on the one thing, right? Exactly. And there's also, I mean, I mean, with anything, it could be with writing or, or producing a piece of music, um, Look, you can overpaint a painting. You can overproduce a piece of music. You can kill a painting by overworking it. And so this limited time that I spend, that energy, that build-up, that expectation, that procrastination that I've used with that particular painting, once I've – the actual painting process is very quick and once I've – uh, painted, then I need to put that painting aside because if I keep at that same painting, it will go through so many very different changes and become something quite different. And that's not what I want. I have I have an idea for that painting. Um, and so, yes, certainly the medium does dictate the time spent on it and the concentration process. Also, I switch off all my devices and I do not answer the phone and I lock the gate. Right. <laughs> so, so in in terms of uh, I'm thinking of Hemingway here. He he famously said that you you have to leave a bit of gas in the tank, so to speak. So if you write until there's nothing else left to write, it's really hard to start the next day. Do do you have a similar sort of thing with you with your painting? Do you do you get to a certain point where you know what you're going to do and you deliberately stop? Yes, absolutely. And it also that also excites you for the next day. Um, it means that when I wake up in the morning, I know exactly what I'm going to confront when I get into the studio and that and that's a wonderful feeling. At the end of every studio session, um, I stop, I look at the work and I decide exactly what I'm going to do with every single painting before I go to bed. So when I wake up in the morning, I know exactly what I have to do for that day and I'm not going to achieve everything but at least I know what's ahead of me. And that's that's part of that continuum as well. So that morning period then helps you to um, think about what you're going to do in the afternoon. Exactly. It's that gestation period. It's that, yeah, right. Yeah. I read something recently where um, a, a guy was doing some of that sort of life hacking and he, he actually experimented with different routines and he discovered that he was completely not a nine-to-five person. And when he went with it, it, it kind of worked. I mean, when did you sort of discover that, that, that natural rhythm for your own routine it's um i think it, it happened very early i i was working a full-time job in my 20s so that was a eight till six i think and the only time i had to paint was late in the evening um and so i would and i'd paint until three o'clock in the morning and get very little sleep and then get up and work again and i realized that the the nine to five just didn't suit me it wasn't my most productive time that i am actually more productive in the afternoon and the evening and it's just my nature so i just go with it when we come to life goals um living by your philosophy and, and living by your creativity can be really hard work are, are the intrinsic payoffs worth it Yes, because I've, I'm happy. <laughs> so if you were to win the proverbial lotto, would you do something different? No, if I won the proverbial lotto, I'd buy more canvas and more paint and I'd produce more paintings and I'd certainly go on more road trips and um, discover new landscapes. I would just keep doing more of what I'm doing now. 
Can we just talk about the road trips for a while? Because uh, when I follow you on your Facebook page and I see these road trips and then you see this burst of creativity and <laughs> all these new sort of paintings emerging and, and uh, you know, they're fantastic. How, how does the road trip sort of inspire you? And how did you sort of stumble upon that? Is that just something that is done or was there something that triggered that desire to do these road trips? Well, I just... I learned how to drive very late in life. I was in my 20s when I learned how to drive. And so, and my family didn't, we didn't have a family car and we never went on family vac- vacations. So there were a lot of places in Australia that I haven't seen or explored. Um, and having a car, being able to drive and and knowing that I can just jump in my car and go wherever I want is the most exciting thing for me as an adult um, and as an artist. Uh, there, there does come a time when I've finished a body of work that I, I am empty and I need new experiences and I need to see something else to inspire me. And the road trips really just started from that. And there were places in Australia that I hadn't been to before. I hadn't been to the outback. And I particularly enjoy doing these road trips solo because I don't have to worry about anybody else's comfort or, you know, it's just it's me and the world. And part of, I guess it's also feeding back into that whole delayed gratification, procrastination subject. But when I'm on a road trip, I can't complete a painting. I can't start and finish a painting. I'm too busy on the road driving for hours and taking photographs and experiencing the landscape. So I'll take thousands of photographs as reference. I write and I might make very, very quick sketches. And so I collect this incredible amount of inspiration and energy and I can't wait then after the road trip to get back into the studio and it's as if I've filled up like a balloon <laughs> and all the painting has to come out and it does and, it, and it's kind of unstoppable until that body of work has been exhausted. So there sounds like there could be a process in that, but do you do it on the basis of how you feel or is it more deliberate? So, you know, do you sort of get to a point where you feel empty and then you look for something else or can you actually plan for when you may feel empty and start working around it like that? I, I can't plan for when I'm going to feel empty. So my road trips and my trip overseas have happened not as a grand master plan. I can't say that um, I'd like to go on another road trip because I'm not sure whether I've emptied from the last experience. So it is certainly how I feel at any given time. and I just have to wait for it to happen. Right, right. So just to cap it off now, I'd, I'd like to segue into another topic that I'm looking at. Uh, I've been looking at the Stoic philosophers uh, recently and Epictetus said that uh, we should live in accordance with our nature if we wish to be happy. Is, is this something that you found? Definitely. And how did you know? I mean, was it by accident or by design? Um, I think it was by design and accident. Um, I remember my first marriage didn't last very long. It was 12 months. Uh and my husband couldn't understand it. It failed because my husband couldn't understand that there were times when I wanted to go to sleep with my paintings and wake up with my paintings in the morning, which meant I wouldn't spend the night with him. And it really upset him. And I could see that this was what was making me happy and what I needed as an artist to make me happy. This was the philosophy of my life, but it wasn't the philosophies of his and he wasn't willing to accept it. So I... I left that marriage because I knew I was just going to cause so much unhappiness for this poor, beautiful man. Um, and I've continued to follow that and, and I 
that's the way that I live. And um, thankfully, I have a wonderful partner who is also a creative and neither of us have expectations of one another. And we understand that our creative work is paramount. Does that understanding, uh, and I have a similar situation where my partner is an academic as well, and there, there are times when that is wonderful and there are other times when it's really frustrating. Uh, I mean, do, do the sort of benefits of working with someone who understands that creative energy uh, outweigh the, the negatives? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I can't think of too many negatives, actually. <laughs> or perhaps he's not very handy. But, um, yes, because uh, he, we both understand that we need solitude and we purchased this great big theatre to live in and work in for that very purpose, that my husband can be at one end of the building and I can be at the other and we may not see each other all day because we need that cave, we need that space. And we both allow each other that time and we don't take it personally. It's not it's not a feeling of, oh, I'm a I'm a I'm an art widow or Yeah, you need to spend time on your craft and and your art and your thought. Otherwise, they just don't manifest. There's a friend of mine who is a creative person, both music and painting and almost anything. The guy is so creative. And yet he spent his most of his life in a traditional job and he's been very frustrated and coming into his 50s and he's about to change change careers. Uh, I mean, is it it possible or can you leave your run too late, do you think, in, in... Taking up the creative lifestyle. I think if it's within you, it doesn't matter how late or when. I, I really hope that your friend is going to move into a creative industry if that's where he's going. But no, look, um, it was at Rosalie Gascoigne. She, I don't think she started creating art until her seventies. Yeah, right. Well, there's, yeah, there's a lot of pressure because I think it was Einstein said, if you don't achieve greatness by the time you're thirty, then forget about it. <laughs> and yet the research now is saying that. You can't really know. You can't catch up with current knowledge unless you're 60. Yeah, you know, there you, you need go. like a lifetime of learning to get there. Well, that's right. And and um, I've started late for, for various reasons, but I, uh, I know a lot of people were really shocked and amazed that I, at the age of almost 50, I'd never been to France. But you're an artist and you've never been to Paris, good Lord. But I'm glad I went well this year. I'm glad that I experienced it at this age and I'm glad I went on my road trip solo into the outback. Well, thank you very much, Margarita, for joining me today. I appreciate your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.